Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, chaplain at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. This is Stephen Schleipak. I'm a fourth-year mechanical engineer at Tech. Alex Carroll, focused missionary at Tech. And Father Michael Silloway, priest in residence at Georgia Tech. So we are currently in Lima, Peru, in the shanty town called Pamplona, uh, in the high part, Pamplona Alta. We are currently sitting uh, on a soccer field that looks a lot more like a basketball court than a soccer field up in the highlands, the highest part of this shanty town. Um, and before we kind of get started, I want to ask uh, Stephen to just kind of explain to us what he sees. So this soccer field is kind of hewn into the rock on one side. There's a rock wall to the back of us. Um, to the sides kind of go up the valleys and it's just rocks and cliffs and boulders and on top of the hills are just tiny little shacks, like not even the size of shipping containers, just like the size of... I think most of them are like eight by eight. Eight yeah. foot by eight yeah. foot. Yeah, tiny. At most. Plywood walls, just a corrugated tin roof, dirt floors. And then looking down into the valley... Steven, look at the... Looking, sorry, I turned to look in the valley, but you look down into the valley and you see just nothing but the shanty towns going down all the way into the valley and it slowly just turns into more um, like more permanent settlements of just brick houses and then finally you get down into Lima in the Pacific Ocean off in the distance. So the shanty town that we're in uh, is uh, the one that I've come back to. This is my fifth time or so. I can't remember if it's five or six, whatever, uh, coming here. And there's about 300,000 people that live in this shanty town. Um, Lima has a population of a roughly 8 million people, and 4 million or so of them live in places like this. Lima is a desert. There's no, there's no vegetation here. Uh, there's no anything. And we apologize for any background noise, dogs, children, wind. Um, we're recording this outside, so if you can't hear it, we apologize. Um, what we wanted to talk about today was kind of what we're doing here in Lima this week and uh, and then to talk a little bit about suffering. Uh, so this is our spring break mission trip from Georgia Tech and it happened to occur this year during Holy Week. So we are celebrating the Holy Week liturgies in Pamplona Alta. Uh, yesterday we celebrated Holy Thursday uh, and Father Michael and I celebrated Mass. I washed the feet of 12 people, I think eight of them were locals, Peruvians, and four of them were from our group. Uh, today we celebrate the veneration of the cross. Right now, uh, different groups are going from house to house, uh, doing catechesis and inviting people to uh, the, uh, the liturgies. And then later we'll do a way of the cross and then the veneration of the cross, the liturgy, um, all kinds of things going on here. So, uh, I just want to ask. Uh, I want to ask you guys. Like, what's your what's your impression of what you've seen here so far? Nobody. I'm the only one who's been here before. Not all at once. I think that's the perfect answer. Like for me, it was just beyond words. Like yeah. there's so much to take in, and it's such a huge contrast to everything that we see every single day that it's really difficult for me to describe and to put into words. Not only like how it strikes me, but just how I feel about it, even just thinking about it over time. Like, it's incredible. It's, I, I find it, I think the best word I can think of is devastating. Um, having taken teens, young adults on various mission trips, pilgrimages to, to other places uh, that certainly are, are much different than the United States, but 
this this is altogether different. Um, the moment you turn off that main road and, and make the turn into the shanty town, um, it's just devastating. Um, everything is dirty. There's just a cloud of dust that hangs over this place all the time. The dogs with flies all over them just wandering up and down the streets eating garbage. And um, That's the only thing I can think of is that it, it, it just... It's a heart-wrenching kind of devastation. Yeah, the one where that comes to mind, I think, I don't know, I've been trying to think of like words to describe this place for like the past, I don't know, five days that we've been here. And I should come back to the word like desperate because people are just desperately in need of so much, so much stuff. Like people barely have electricity and running water. Most people in Pamplona Alta have neither. The kids are desperate for anything. The other day we were leaving on the bus to go back and three little girls came up uh, and they were holding hands, and they, were, they couldn't have been more than four years old, but they said, you know, Kiro Agua, Kiro Agua, or Kiro almost. Um, we want water, we need water, and I was just like, what do you do, like, in this situation? Like, how do you, I don't know. It's just been really, uh, it's been, yeah, speechless, desperate. It's been tough. So the, the uh, situation in Pamplona, um, in Pamplona Baja, uh, which has been around for about 30 years, um, this shantytown uh, started... Uh, generally speaking, because of the drug wars uh, in Peru that drove people out of the highlands and down into the cities. That's not really what's driving it anymore, although there's still people that come from the highlands down. Um, uh, what happens now is the shantytown's expanding because people are moving to Lima, hoping to build a better life, or they're moving out of the city, out of rental property, uh, up into the shantytown to build homes that one day they can own. Um, up in Pamplona Alta, uh, there is no regular electricity. There is some electricity, uh, but it's bootleg electricity. Somebody that has real electricity down in the lower part of the city sells it to people up higher. Um, there's no running water. Uh, nowhere in Lima is there water safe to drink. You have to drink bottled water that's been purified, even in the city. Uh, but up here, the water that gets delivered in the trucks and which people drink out of... Uh, if we drank the water in the city, we would get sick. You drink the water up here, it could kill you. Yeah. It's uh, it's very, very bad. Um, and the locals up here drink it all the time. They drink the same water uh, that dogs drink out of. They drink the same water that they bathe in. Um, it's just uh, it's a bad situation. The water is delivered on these big blue trucks that come driving through the shantytown. Uh, they'll honk their horns so people know to walk down uh, the mountain. And when I say mountain, you have to understand, like... It's a mountain, actual mountain, right? I mean, we yeah. we spent all week uh, building stairs. How many did we? How many did we build? Over fifty. Over fifty stairs, uh, pouring concrete and rocks. Uh, mix it. Well, not pouring concrete. Mixing concrete by hand, uh, and then carry it in in buckets up the stairs. Uh, we made about fifty stairs, and the stairs go straight up the mountain. And the idea is to give people a safer way to kind of get up and down. Uh, get it up and down to their homes, because but also without, to make it easier to carry yeah. water. Because without stairs, you're literally rock climbing to your home up like these rock slides that these earthquakes have caused. It's just boulder after boulder after loose rock, and it's extremely dangerous. In the, I don't know, in the past five days, I think I've probably fell like ten times. That's so amazing. I didn't fall at all. Michael, mm. full of grace. Agile. Or mountain, they, they call me Mountain Goat, Father Michael. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I'm going to go ahead and call it everybody on the podcast and ask them to stop mumbling <laughs> All since right. we're outside. What was a mumbling? Yeah, that was just a mumble right there. Yeah, I'm going to mumble. That That's one. a mumble. That's more mumbling. I don't want the people to hear me. Now you're mumbling talking. again. Uh, 
So sorry if uh, if you can't hear Alex. He doesn't have anything very interesting to say anyway. Um, okay, so uh, the purpose or the main uh, topic of this podcast is uh, suffering. So suffering is a uh, a very deep concept. I think we have an idea of suffering that comes from our personal experience, and when we get here, we realize. Uh, suffering is a whole different thing. Um, so Alex has suggested that we talk about suffering in the podcast. Is there any sort of particular aspect of it? No. Uh, Alex? All of it. All of it? All of suffering. Uh, I don't know. The question that I keep coming back to is like, why some people, why God has chosen some people to suffer in this way when we have been chosen to, when we have been kind of given a suffering of of a different kind. I think, I don't, I don't think there's anyone in the world who isn't suffering. I think there's different sufferings, and I think there's like different degrees of sufferings. And it just it seems very unfair that we have our life and these people who are equally loved, equally created in the same image of God, um, have a very different, seemingly worse suffering than us. So I'm going to throw this out there um, as we start talking about this. I'm going to say I believe a greater percentage of people from Pamplona Alta will be in heaven than from Atlanta. Oh, for sure. Well, okay, so well, let's throw that in there then. I mean, because uh, are the people we're feeling sorry for the people in Atlanta then? No, but like it seems like the temporal suffering here is so much worse. Like the, the pain and suffering, the immediate suffering is so much more. There might be a greater reward because of that suffering eternally, but it's hard to see, like I said, it's hard to see those four-year-old girls begging for water. Like you don't see a lot of that in Atlanta. So I guess... To me, in my humanity, it seems worse. Maybe it's not. Steven? I don't know. Your statement is shocking. I I think intentionally so. Um, But yeah, our hearts break when when we see, I'll go back to my word, that devastation. That just surrounds this place physically um, and materialistically. But but I think when when you look at it through the lens of the gospel through the lens of our Lord's heart and what he asks of his people. Um, I think what you're saying is right on the money that these people um, are going to have a greater openness uh, to the Lord because of the suffering they endure. Um, And there's probably good likelihood that they end up in heaven much faster than a lot of the rest of us do. I said earlier this week in one of my homilies that, uh, uh, God has given to the people in Pamplona Alta everything that they need to become saints. He would never leave people without the ability to become saints. So to the extent that we have anything beyond what they have, then it is for one of two purposes. It either is to be used to further the kingdom of God, or it's vanity. Those are the only two possibilities. There's nothing else. And so... I look at what these people have, and then I look at what we have, and I think to myself, it's mostly vanity. And vanity being defined as putting a value on something that has no intrinsic or eternal value, right? So we put lots and lots of value on uh, temporal success. We put lots of value on material success. Uh, We put lots of value on... um, you know, our clothing and all these other things. I mean, I think to myself, like, how many pairs of shoes I own, 
uh, versus the people here. We see them always in the same shoes. Uh, every day they're coming in the same clothes. They wash them at night. Um, and I just wonder, like, how much of that is how much of that is just vanity? And then, then I ask myself. So I'm not trying to in any way kind of make light. Trust me, I'm not trying to make light. But are we going to define as suffering when someone's kept from vanity? there's still that temporal suffering though right they still are hungry they still are thirsty they still have hardly anything to live in that's still considered suffering right i think so yeah yeah i don't think that's ever a good thing I mean, that's those are those are right in the right in the heart of the gospel right yeah i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink I was naked and you clothed me yeah you gave me shelter that kind of thing um i think that's definitely right in the heart of what we're supposed to be doing yeah um Wait, so you're, are you suggesting that they're better off then in this life than if they were in Atlanta living, you know, in Midtown or Buckhead or something? Well, it depends on how we how we measure it, right? If I say that you have a better chance of getting to heaven from here than you do from Atlanta, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say that somebody in Atlanta is better off. If the first part's true, right? Right. If the first part's true, you have to believe that the people here are actually better off, spiritually speaking. Right. Physically, are they? No. Absolutely not. I think, yeah, while I agree with you. But the other thing, too, is, like, we do have to remember, at least in Lima, nobody's starving in Lima. Like, starvation is not a problem. You look at the people, like, they're Mm -hmm. not starving. Yeah. Uh, There are places in the world where people don't have enough to eat. Sure. And while the water here is dangerous, they do have water. Um, So even the little girls were asking for water yesterday. It's not that they were without all water. Mm -hmm. Um, But they know that They just wanted our water, right? yeah. Um, and whether they wanted it because they knew it was clean or whether they wanted it because they knew it was ours. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Maybe. Little kids, they, they just want to be around us, you know. Yeah. Um, every day I give away little things that I have that don't mean anything to me. That I mean, I had a little kid actually ask me yesterday. I'm looking. We have currently have the recorder sitting on top of my backpack, which also is functioning as a tabernacle because Jesus is inside of my backpack. For later today, for the for the um, uh, for the Good Friday liturgy, and on my uh, on my backpack on my backpack is a um, uh, luggage tag that says Georgia Tech Catholic Center. And a little kid was pulling on it the, yesterday, and I didn't understand what he wanted. And eventually, somebody told me he wanted it, so I started to take it off, and then the little kid ran away. Um, but it's amazing; they just want our little things. I remember uh, this is the first trip that I've made it through a whole trip uh, without losing my watch. Uh, you know, somebody asking me for that. And I always bring like a Walmart watch that I can give away. Um, and But now, I mean, as I say that, right? Yeah. So like talk that about you vanity. you can give away. Right? Yeah. Talk about vanity, Why can't you right? give away the other one? Is that I have, uh, I have watches that I buy that I just give away. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's a... It's a very, very different way of looking at the world from here. I think it's, like, interesting that we can think about suffering in this way and recognize, I mean, like we were talking about, you know, do you have better chances of getting to heaven, if you want to phrase it that way, Um, like living here in Atlanta. Like, we have, like, the spiritual knowledge and the depth and just such easy access to the sacraments and to church teaching and all this stuff that we can sit here and have a conversation on this. But so many of the people here... Like, you live in an actual desert, but it's also very much like a spiritual desert. To get to the nearest church, 
you have to hike down these rocks and the dirt and gravel road. And when I say gravel, it's, it's like loose away, rocks. Right? Yeah, that's got to be a mile away at least to get to the nearest church. No and cars. then past that, there's churches down in Lima, but you got to hop on a bus if you want to get to any of those. And to have easy access to the sacraments or any sort of like religious or spiritual or theological teaching, like. You have to go to extreme lengths just to find any of that here. Well, this is something that hit me big time yesterday as we we finished the, uh, the Mass of the Lord's Supper and we brought the Lord over to the little altar of repose and it's a beautiful moment where everybody was bringing the flowers that were at the main altar, one by one laying them down on the altar of repose. Um, so I, I we currently have a little boy walking over here. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> Keep going, sorry. <laughs> so um, Father Josh and I and the, and the servers were kneeling behind the altar and um, everybody's coming up laying their flowers down and I, I was just overwhelmed with a sadness that I, I couldn't quite put words to yesterday but I think I'm beginning to understand what was going on it wasn't so much a sadness for like the, the material poverty that, that we experience here in Pamplona but um, what I think was hitting me was that all these people are coming up laying their flower down on the altar and venerating the statue of Mary which was right next to the tabernacle right next to the Lord and I was thinking and they're not they don't recognize that the savior of the world is on this table right here for them um, what what struck me was I think the big poverty here was that they, they really don't have access to anybody sharing the gospel with them st. Paul said how will people know the good news if nobody tells it to them if nobody is sent if nobody proclaims it and how will people proclaim it if they haven't been sent and kind of the, just in the the I hope I'm not over spiritualizing too much but as I was praying to Our Lady just like Mary your job always and everywhere has always been to bring people to the heart of your Savior she kind of was speaking into my own heart saying Father Michael I got this <laughs> Father Michael I've got this I'm leading them to my son don't you worry but just that uh, in that moment of, of just seeing these people with their, their love and their veneration for the Virgin Mary, uh, but not recognizing so much that right there in their presence was our Eucharistic Lord. That, that was a deep sadness to me. I, uh, I have the same kind of experience. So y yesterday, um, you know, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and we had practiced the night before the Gloria in Spanish at the retreat house. And then yesterday morning when we got up here, I asked uh, our mission leader whether or not uh, the people here would know the Gloria. Because, I mean, we're all a bunch of gringos. We don't know the Gloria in Spanish. <laughs> and so my, my worry was we're going to sing the Gloria in Spanish and then nobody's going to sing it. And so I thought, well, we'll sing it in English or we'll sing it in Latin or something. Because um, at least then we'll have a bunch of people singing. And so we asked, like, one of the leaders of the community up here, who's very excited that we're here, who's trying to get me to come and build a chapel right behind us, uh, where we're sitting right now. And uh, Alejo, our leader, started reading the Gloria to her. And she said, yes, I kind of, I've, I think I've heard that song once. Um, but she, she didn't know the Gloria, right? Which we say every Sunday at Mass, except for Lent. And so we ended up singing it in Latin because most of the Georgia Tech people know it uh, from Masses there. But I think that's the great tragedy of this place is that we tend to think to ourselves that, well, at least poor people have their faith, right? I think to myself, well, at least poor people have their faith. The problem is they don't have it here. They don't have it. Um, they're suffering 
without our Lord. Uh, because they haven't been taught, because there's no churches, because there's no priests. They've been um, essentially abandoned. There's one priest for this whole shantytown. He's a really, really great guy. He works very hard. But he has 300,000 parishioners. You know, he doesn't have a chance. And a chapel. He doesn't. Well, he's, he's got a church. Yeah. But he's got a church way down at the bottom. And it's, and it's fairly big. But he doesn't have... I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to celebrate 85 masses on a Sunday and you're still... You're still not going to touch most of your people, yep. right? You just can't do it. Um, the bishop of this area has asked us, or has, I asked one time when we were coming, um, is he okay with us coming and building chapels? Is he okay with us celebrating mass in the shanty towns and doing this, that, and the other? And he gave me blanket permission. He's like, you can do anything to help these people. You want to baptize? Baptize. You want to confirm? Confirm. You want to hear confessions? Hear confessions. Anything that you can do to help these people. That's awesome. Um, it's uh, He's got, definitely got a missionary heart. His diocese is about 100 miles long along the coast, and it's all shanty towns. You know, he's got nobody, uh, no source of money, no source of anything. Uh, so the ability to come and help these people um, is very serious. It's very good. Um, this week, I mean, it's a great comfort, at least to me, for them to be able to see the Triduum, to see Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday. None of them had ever seen any of the things in the Triduum. They didn't even know that these things happened. So yesterday, we did the washing of the feet at Holy Thursday, and uh, one of our uh, one of our local leaders, uh, Thibault, uh, had been going around trying to find people to be willing to have their feet washed. And here in Peru, like, the idea of trying to do anything other than men uh, is just, they told us, is out of the question. Um, so they were trying to find men to do this. And they had a really hard time. Even guys we worked with all week on the stairs, they said they wouldn't do it because they had done too many bad things in their life and that a priest could not possibly wash their feet. Um, they finally found people, but they were all very, very embarrassed about it. Yeah. Uh, they had to literally go to their homes or remind them to come. Yeah. Um, but it was it was very beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful, powerful thing. Um, what did you guys think? Of Holy Thursday? Yeah. And aside from the dogs. And yeah, the, I spent most of my Holy the kid Thursday who, Mass. The kid who <laughs> pooped himself. Yeah. <laughs> I spent most of my Holy Thursday Mass hurting dogs and children, and by the end of it, I didn't really know which ones were which. They were just, I think that's typical of kind of Hispanic Masses, though. There's a lot of chaos, but, you know, Jesus was still in that moment. I think my favorite part was the procession to the altar of repose. Um, we, it was chaotic, but everyone seemed to have a flower, and, like, very silently and pretty reverently, people would come forward, put their, put their flower next to Jesus and the statue of Mary, and they would kind of bow or they would kiss the feet of Mary. And then we came back and we and we knelt and almost all the people we said, our fa the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, three or four times in a row, I think. And by the end, I think everyone was praying. Um, and it was just a very small act of faith. They might not have really known what was going on, but I think, you know, as I think you said in one of your Facebook posts, Father, uh, you know, Jesus is in Pamplona Alta. And for me, that was worth the whole trip. That was kind of the theme of the homily, too. Was it? I don't know. It's yeah. all in Spanish. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The feet washing was particularly striking. Uh, I had a, a view from behind, uh, which nobody else saw. Um, and so just to see these men, like, uh, awkwardly take off their shoes, you could sense that feeling of, like... And as, as Father Josh mentioned, too, in, in his post about... Uh, it's just like St. Peter. 
kind of that idea of that, that pride saying, no, no, you, you cannot. Or like when Peter, when Jesus came into his boat and the, the miraculous catch of fish, and he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Jesus looks past all of that straight into the heart and says, what I'm doing for you, you don't understand now, but you will. You will. And it's going to completely overwhelm your own heart. Um, so seeing Father Josh scooting across this dirty concrete floor, um, Alb destroyed, uh, pouring a, this, this water from, from one of the water jugs that we drank that had uh, into this just metal base, and it was it was just such a simple and beautiful gesture. There were some dirty feet, too. Some dirty feet, yeah. <laughs> That's good. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, back to the original question of suffering. Um, did, I don't think I've really came to a satisfying answer of like why these why were these people to chosen to suffer in this way well before we go Sorry. into that a little bit Please. just one one thing to add to it some of our groups that are, are going up to the homes uh to visit say some prayers uh one of the groups came back and they had gotten into a very interesting discussion on this topic yeah a woman just straight out asked um why do we suffer why is there suffering and it's one of the most basic questions, I think, that mm -hmm. the people who struggle with faith or end up losing their faith, it hinges upon this. Yeah. And it's here, just, just as much as people in Atlanta ask it, people here in the, in the hillsides of Pamplona are asking it as well. Absolutely. So, uh, St. Gregory the Great um, says there's three reasons for suffering. And I think all three kind of apply here in one way or another. Um, he said the first reason for suffering is just punishment for our sins. Right, so if I do something very terrible to another person and, you know, I suffer as a result for the rest of my life, um, that's kind of just, right? Uh, just pun punishment for my sins. So let's say when I'm young, I murder someone mm -hmm. and the entire rest of my life I feel bad about it. Uh, it keeps me from really being able to uh, do all the things in the world I might want to do because I'm so guilt-ridden. Um, that's actually just. I mean, I should feel bad about that. Sure. Right? I've done a, I've done a harm to the world that I cannot repair. I can be forgiven for it, mm -hmm. and God can make good come out of it. Sure. But it doesn't make the action okay. Okay. Um, that's not why these people are suffering. I right? should hope not. That's not why these... I mean, no. Well, I take that back. They may be suffering some for that. Some of them may mm -hmm. have made some very bad decisions. Sure. Right? I mean, listen. We go up into an 8 by 8 shanty, uh, shanty house, and some of them have big screen TVs, right? Now, if someone is suffering because they've decided to spend all their money on a big screen TV instead of education, that's the kind of suffering we're talking about, right? I've made a sinful decision, and now I'm going to suffer or my kids are going to suffer as a result um, of that, right? Okay. So, but I don't think that's the majority of what's going on here. Um, the second type of suffering that Gregory talks about is uh, suffering that God gives to us that prevents us from doing something that God knows would be worse, right? So he prevents us uh, by suffering from committing some horrible action. Um, now that requires kind of God's mentality, right? He has to see uh, what we would do if we weren't in this situation, right? Now, why does God allow this to happen? I think this is very likely to be the reason. God looks at these people and he says, these people, as we were talking about earlier, these people have a simplicity, have a simplicity that at least gives them potential to know me better than people whose lives are filled with vanity. And so he allows that to continue. 
Um, I think that's certainly uh, a possibility. And then the third type of suffering, and this is the one we talk about with them here, is we suffer because Christ loves us and God treated his own son um, as one he loved enough to allow him to suffer for others. Uh, If he let his own son suffer, then he's going to let us suffer too. And so the suffering that these people endure is uh, physical suffering, uh, material suffering, uh, and also a spiritual suffering. Um, And the suffering that most people endure in the United States is not material, uh, but it is definitely spiritual. I mean, the spiritual suffering in the United States is far, far worse than the spiritual suffering here. Uh, These people aren't blocked from God. They might not know him, but they're not blocked from him. People in the United States have just... Have, they've closed their hearts. The money and wealth and materialism has gotten so bad, and it's been so bad for so long, that it's hard to even imagine that when we talk about what we need to live, right? When we talk about what we need to live. If I were to ask somebody in the U.S., okay, if you had to go down to just bare bones, what you absolutely have to have, what they would choose would be absurd mm-hmm. compared to what these people have. Oh, yeah. I still have tough answer, you know. You suffer this way because God loves you. That's I don't know if I could explain that to any of these people here. Um, that'd be really tough. But it's just, I'm not I'm not questioning the answer. It's just a hard one. It's a hard one. I think when when you actually I think that's the, I think that's the thing people understand that. Like it's Good Friday. You show them the cross. Yeah. Be like, this is the way to heaven. Jesus Christ has shown us the way to heaven. Why does God let this happen? Because this is the way to heaven. I mean, what they're suffering here is material injustice. Mm -hmm. Material injustice. Right up on the top of the mountain, behind it, or on the top of it, is a wall. What is it called? The Wall of Shame? Shame. Shame. The Wall of Shame. uh, A big wall that's been built by rich people in Lima. And on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the wall, there is, on the slope of the same mountain, just on the other side of this wall, there are 30,000 square foot houses... Uh, huge swimming pools. They're irrigating the whole mountain so it turns into a lush garden. Uh, And the people can pass from the rich part into the poor part going through the wall. But you cannot pass from the poor part into the rich part. So even people in the shantytown who work for the rich people, they have to go two hours around the whole mountain to get to work. But then they can walk back through the wall. Right? It's a one-way wall. No poor people allowed. Um, the injustice that's here, could it be corrected just by taking all the money from the rich people? No, it could not. There's not enough wealth in Lima. Um, but it doesn't have to be as bad as it is. Um, so one of the reasons people suffer here is selfish in- injustice. So it's like they're paying the price of another person's sins, right? When we do things, it has the it has effect on other people. That's the that's kind of the the cause of it. Why does God allow it? Because He will allow us to be like His Son. Allow us to be like His Son. That's not a pleasant thing to think about. But um, while you may never experience the temporal poverty that these people experience, you will experience every bit as much suffering. It'll just be different. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts? Stephen's shaking his head, which you can't see on the podcast. (laughs) Just, I don't know. It's going to make it a long podcast, I don't know. But uh, kind of what I've been thinking about, kind of this whole trip really was, 
I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I took it in high school, so I understand words and phrases, but I don't speak Spanish well enough to be able to go around to houses and really share the gospel or spread the gospel or try and explain to people that although they may be suffering, it is good and that God allows them to suffer in this way to be more like Christ. Um, I'm just not going to be able to do that well. And so really kind of the thing that I've been working on for this trip has been helping with the liturgy and helping with Holy Thursday and Good Friday and tomorrow the Easter Vigil. And it's something that it's almost like it's I feel like it's the least I can do, but it's also really like I can't do enough um, to try and help these people to experience God in this way that some people will never get to experience. Even in the United States, we were talking about how in the U.S. people have closed themselves off to God. If we were to go to just some random town and try and celebrate the Triduum and invite people, you'd have maybe a dozen people show up just to see what it was like. They'd come on Holy Thursday and wouldn't be back for Friday or Saturday. But here, at least, the people are open to it and they want God and Christ in their lives so bad that they're willing to hike around this mountain just to get here for an hour and a half each day and to spend time with them. I mean, there's kids running around just on the basketball court with this and I don't know. I can't put it all into words, but just being able to help and bring the Triduum here to these people who so desperately love and want to know God. Um, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing, but it also is, um, it's very difficult to do at the same time because you recognize that while we're going to be here with them for this weekend, I mean, we're leaving in a couple days, we're going back home, and so we're not going to be able to really continue to celebrate masses like this with them or continue to celebrate the sacraments with them, but I just hope that at least, you know, even just one or a few of these people recognize how beautiful the Triduum is and are maybe encouraged to, to make the hike down into town for masses on Sundays or encouraged to go to confession even just one more time a year. Um, it's just kind of all I can hope for. Or maybe even thinking a little bigger, um, just kind of like the hopeful explosion of a grace bomb. I love that term, grace, grace bomb. And who knows, maybe because of what's, what's happening here this week, um, with celebrating with such solemnity and beauty and simplicity the sacred triduum, maybe some vocations come out of this. Some kids like, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to do what they're doing. Um, so hopefully, yeah, disciples for our Lord are made, and hopefully, even out of that, He calls some of them, opens their hearts to follow in the priesthood, and then they can begin to evangelize this community from within. Something that, that none of us will be ever, ever able, to, ever able to be ever be able to do well this is uh the hell of catholic podcast uh from pamplona alta in lima peru on good friday 2016 uh, thank you for listening again we apologize about the noise and the wind and any background that you that made it hard to hear us uh, but we're outside in a shanty town um, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Please pray for us. Pray for this place, too. And, yeah, please uh, pray for us and pray for the people uh, in Pamplona Alto. They're really, really good people. Um, just good, good people. And they love us so much. They just love us being here. Uh, you know, one last thought before he was to finish. Something I was thinking of when Father Michael was talking. Actually, when Alex was talking. You know, we have all these gringos going from house to house in Pamplona. And thinking about these people are welcoming them into their homes. 
and they're sitting down with them and listening to them speak in gringo Spanish, <laughs> Spanglish, <laughs> right? Spanglish has been written down for them, uh, basically just to invite them to the liturgy, right? Because then hopefully here they can muddle through my homily or one of Father Michael's homilies and get something out of it. And I think to myself, what would my reaction be if a group of dirty Peruvians were walking through my neighborhood and they came and they knocked on my door and would I let them into my house? I mean, absolutely not, right? Who would do that? You wouldn't invite them in. You wouldn't listen to them. You'd probably call the cops. Give them your only food in your house. That's what I talk about in terms of their openness to God versus how closed we are. Um, There's a real generosity of spirit here. So anyway, hell of a Catholic podcast, podcast at gtcatholic.org. God bless you.